really, it's a pleasure for us uh, to be here in Ohio with you all. We've been taking the Freedom Equip in different formats, kind of on the road, ministering in different communities in the nation and different parts of the world as well for, for years now. And in this year, we've had opportunity to conduct one of these seminars on the campus of Michigan State University. And I'll share a little bit about the story of breakthrough that we've had on that campus there and in that city. It's just been powerful what God's doing and through a group of churches there that we've been able to serve um, as well. A couple weeks ago, we were in Indiana, in Gas City, Indiana. Um, no one probably knows where that is, you know, but we were ministering among uh, a church there and a handful of Christian college campuses. It was a beautiful time as well as being in Tacoma, Washington just two weeks ago. And in a few weeks, we, my wife and a team and I have a few different churches and ministries. We'll be conducting one of these uh, Freedom Equips in, Hung- in Budapest, Hungary, which we're really excited about, in a Baptist Union church <laughs> that God has opened the doors wide open to our ministry through this mom and dad in the Baptist Union who are connected to the seminary that produces all the Baptist pastors around Hungary who have opened wide to our ministry uh, because we partner together uh, in inter- international missions work in, in Western Romania. and We've seen just a dynamic deliverance occur uh, in a church that they're connected to. Again, a ministry with no grid for this kind of supernatural stuff. But one of the things they reported to me when we were there in, in Budapest for the first time last year was, um, he said, pastor said, you know, I've been exposed to healing and prophecy and I've had it done okay and then I've had it done really bad. And he said, so I decided we will never do this in my church. And then he said, but years later, he says, now I've run into you and I've seen in your ministry a, a marriage between sound teaching and the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, I want you to know this is exactly what we need. Come on. So, so Baptists are opening wide and uh, Jesus is about to return. Amen. <laughs> and so, no, in all, in all seriousness, is we love those brothers and sisters. We have tremendous things to learn from them. Our, our friends in Budapest, where we're going to conduct a school of transformation this summer. We'll tell you a little bit more about there in addition to our, our, my new hometown in Franklin, Tennessee. I live in Nashville and uh, I moved, I grew up in California, spent my adult life in the Seattle area, moved to Nashville. I tell everyone when they ask me, what are you doing here in Nashville? I said, I'm a country music artist. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you know, it's like 2018, so you can't judge anyone or offend anyone, so they're just not going to say anything. They look at me really funny, and I'm like, come on, man, do I look like a country music artist, you know? <laughs> and they start, of course, laughing, but um, no, we, we've centralized there to work with our friends, Ryan and, and others, a part of Messenger International. We might talk a little bit more about that. Let's go to slide two. I want to introduce you to my family, because my, my, my wife, who couldn't be here, sends her greetings. And uh, Jenny and our four children, There's, uh, we have Nina. This is an old picture. It's probably almost two years old uh, or a year old. Nina's nine. She's in the middle there. To her left, there's Ellie. She's seven. And then there's Bubba on the right. His name's Gabriel. We call him Bubba. He is now five. And then up top there in the middle, that's Leo, and he's now two. And, of course, there's my wife, Jenny, of going on 15 years. And so... You can see that my kids get, get lighter complexion as they go, you know, as they come. And so they start brown like me, and then they get transparent white in the middle. You can see through my, you can see through my two-year-old, you know. And I joke, I tell everybody, it's because our printer ran out of ink, you know. 
So if you took off his diaper, you'd see a pink, two pink lines going straight up his bottom, you know? <laughs> and people were like, what happened here? I was like, I don't know. I didn't plan this. I thought I was going to have some brown kids, you know? It's so... I blame this on my wife, and so she's from northern Idaho. That's like as white as it gets, you know, <laughs> and so people take one look at me. I think I was on, I think I just returned from the mission field, because look how tan I am in this picture. I was for sure not in Washington State, you know. Um, I came off the mission field looking like that, n- nice, nice and dapper. People ask me all the time, what ethnicity are you? So my mom's side's Mexican, my dad's side's Filipino. I always tell people I'm a jalapeno, you know, it's so... <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so that's me. So, uh, pastor's got jokes. I'm here all night. Um, let's, <laughs> let's go to slide three. We're going to jump into this topic of living in freedom. I want to propose to you that the experience of freedom, when we talk about freedom, it really is, uh, it really is an experience of the gospel. I think one of the things that's happened in the church, particularly in the charismatic, the spirit-filled church, is we've labeled topics of freedom and healing and deliverance to kind of that, the, the, the corner, that special corner of, of church life that says, oh, this is, this, is the, this is Holy Spirit stuff. I want you to know it's not Holy Spirit stuff, it's gospel stuff. And so freedom is the essence of the gospel. One of the beautiful things that we have opportunity to do here tonight and tomorrow is as believers in Jesus Christ, enter into a more full experience, a personal experience of the power of the gospel in our own lives. Paul said in in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believes. And he says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. From faith to faith, just as is written, that the righteous shall live by faith. And so there's an invitation for us to step into a greater experience of the power of the gospel, which is the fuel for spiritual transformation. I'm concerned that much of freedom, deliverance, or inner healing type ministry in the church today has come away from the engine or the power source of the gospel and as a result, it's been put, those activities have been put on the shelf and reserved for kind of an exclusive group of elite Christians. I'm here to tell you this is for everyone. And this is for all of us. And so this, this evening, we want to look at um, slide five, this image that I love that represents um, kind of what we're going to experience here. And, and what we're going to teach into this experience is this idea that if we remove hindrances, we're going to see more of the life of the Spirit in our lives, in our, in our community. We have the, the torrential downpour of God that seeks to release revelation and power and intimacy in our life. You know, John chapter 7, at the last day, Jesus stands up of the great feast and he says, I'll tell you the truth, if anyone believes in me, out of their innermost being will flow forth rivers of living water or shall gush forth torrents of living water. John said, this he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit who was not yet given, for Jesus was not yet glorified. So the experience of the Spirit in the life of the believer is typified by this language, river, torrential downpour. And yet, in our experience today, especially in the church of the West, sadly, the the life of the Spirit is often reduced to that of a trickle, that of of a, a little Seattle weather throughout the year, you know. Just a little trickle, 
And, and I'm here to tell you that we have opportunity to be equipped with supernatural weapons from the Word of God through the life of the Spirit, even tonight and, this, and tomorrow, to deal with issues of spiritual strongholds, our flesh and our will, to put it in check so that those filters are removed. And how many of you know when you clean out the filter of a sink faucet, you're like, there were like two little tiny pebbles in there, but that was a game changer. You took out those two little tiny pebbles out of your sink faucet filter and you put that sucker back on and you turn it on, your shirt got entirely wet. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Because the force of, of that faucet came into full functionality. In other words, the source didn't change, but you removed the filter that was the obstruction. And as a result, the source, the, the full force of the source was now in experience. I think that's what God has for us in a greater measure tonight and tomorrow is to, to um, confront some areas that the Holy Spirit's going to put his finger on that all of us can identify in our own hearts to see hindrances and obstructions removed so that the life of Jesus is more manifest in us. Amen. Hebrews, I think of Hebrews chapter 12, which says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, it says, let us, let us throw off everything that, that hinders us. Then he says, and the sin that so easily entangles us. How many of you know that there's sin that entangles you? And then there's some good things that just hinder you. He said, let's throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. He said, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised its shame and was seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. Come on, we're here to throw off hindrances, amen? All right, so we're going to get into this topic in a minute here on the power of salvation, slide six. Slide six on the power of salvation because freedom is really a feature of the gospel and the power of salvation. We're not talking about a kind of sideline topics or peripheral issues tonight. We're talking about the core message of salvation is the essence, uh, uh, or freedom is the essence of salvation. <clears throat> Um, a little background in my life, I didn't grow up in the church. I grew up to a single mom. Um, we, I grew up with three sisters. The dog and the cat and the bird were all female. You know, so was, I, was the, I became the man of the house when I was three years old when my dad left and abandoned our family. He never once paid child support. We lived in poverty. Um, of course, under that mentality of uh, fatherlessness, which I didn't understand until I came of age, and I'm here to tell you that Jesus has pulled me out of the identity of fatherlessness. And he's healed me and he's set me free and he's made me a son. And now I'm able to fulfill my call as a father. So my mom, little story here. My mom was instrumental in my salvation story. She was radically saved because she started receiving demonic visitations in the middle of the night. It scared her so much she decided to start going to church. Don't you love that? The enemy thinks he's going to establish a foothold of fear. My mom got so afraid, she started going to church. And so it's so the Lord, you know, it's so the Lord. So she starts dragging us to church, and we hated it. Stand for an hour in service of worship at the Vineyard Christian Fellowship of Salinas, California. And I remember experiencing the power of the Spirit, tears running down my face, but rebellion filling my heart. And I was saying, no, no, no. 
I was an angry kid covering up the shame of sexual molestation as a young boy, cover, you know, just medicating the anger that came through abandonment, striving to live in my fears and insecurities. My mom approached me one morning of a homecoming football game as a young teenager, and she said, Mio, will you please not play in the game tonight? I said, what are you talking about? She said, I had a dream. I think something bad's going to happen to you if you play in the game tonight. I said, Mom, you're crazy. Keep your dreams to yourself. I'm playing in the football game. What I didn't know was that she went in the room, picked up the phone, called all her friends from church, and said, Jesus came to me in a dream and asked me to pray that my son Adam would live and not die. I'm like, Mom, you didn't tell me that part. You know? And so... In the third quarter of the game, I collapse on the field. I start vomiting. I start having seizures, blackout, rush to the hospital for emergency brain surgery because of a blood clot on my brain due to the football injury there. Should have died on the football field just like the young man with the same injury did the following year in my hometown. Uh, But God, right? Forewarned my mama in a dream the night before, Gave her the strategic prayer of intercession to pray that Adam would live and not die. So as I was having seizures on that field, she came down to her knees, cried out to God, praying the prayer that God had given her. She drug a couple parents down with her. You will pray. You know, like, didn't matter if they were Christians or not. Like, like, little Mexican mama pulls you down on the floor and says, you're going to pray? You're about to pray. (laughs) Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? So it didn't matter if they were spirit filled. So repeat after me. <laughs> Come on, but it was my mom's prophetic intercession that God uses to, to really spare my life. I woke up from a coma a couple days later, was on a recovery bed for two weeks as my mom visited my bedside with the Bible open and just began to read God's word to me. And there I was in my broken state, knowing I would never play contact sports again the rest of my life. Two of my friends have been sent away to California Youth Authority, which is a youth jail, for 13 months. And in that moment of desperation, where everything that was important for me in that moment was gone, that which really mattered revealed himself to me. And as my mom read aloud the word of God, I don't remember what she read or what she said, I just remember the presence that came when she read the book. And the presence of Jesus was revealing himself to me in his love, in his power, with his touch. And I'd weep and weep and weep on that bed as my mom then thanked God that he spared my life and prayed that God would open my eyes to my purpose. And so I'm a word and spirit man because that's how Jesus came to me. The spirit of God revealed Jesus to me through the reading of the word of God. And how many, how many of you know you don't have to choose between the Word of the Spirit today? You can have both. And, and that's what we're after. Amen? I heard the gospel a, couple, a month later in a, in a youth group, gave my life to Jesus. And come on, no looking back. But often when we think about this topic of salvation, we think of it merely as the entry point into the things of God. I want to propose to you that the power of salvation... And the experience of the gospel is for every Christian today. We're going to look at a few passages here of Scripture. Let's look at uh, slide 7 in Ephesians chapter 1. The great apostolic prayer that Paul prayed for the church of Ephesus. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
the Father of glory would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you would know what is the hope of, uh, that to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. And he goes on to talk about how great that power is. He's praying this simple elementary prayer. God, open the eyes of the church of Ephesus that they would see how special they are to you, that they are your inheritance, and that they would see the immeasurable power that's available to them because of salvation. He's reciting this, what we would call this very elementary prayer. But I would propose to you that Paul is actually praying for some very varsity Christians. Many of us who've read the book of Acts understand the church of Ephesus was born out of the greatest revival of the New Testament. Acts chapter 19, where all of Asia began to hear the gospel because of this one church. Come on, someone. All of Asia, through one little church, they ran a school of ministry for two years in the school of Tyrannus. They had unusual miracles where Paul's handkerchiefs were being laid on the sick. Come on, anointed snot rags laid on the sick and they're made whole. Paul is praying for a church that's well seasoned in revival. And he's saying, God, open their eyes to this truth. I would propose to you that, that the doctrine of salvation is the engine that drives spiritual transformation. Not just for the rookie believer, but for the most varsity Christian in the room. And so we all come to the truth of salvation, not like varsity veterans, but like kids, eager to hear some truth spoken from the mouth of the Father. Amen? And so we want to look at this passage. What does it mean, this word salvation? We understand slide eight. Um, of course, this Greek word salvation in the New Testament is the word sozo. We see this in Luke 19.10. Jesus used this Greek, this Greek phrase. He said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to sozo, or to save, what was lost. And I love this passage of Scripture, uh, this, this word rather, this Greek word sozo, as it encompasses far more than we typically attribute it when we think about the phrase salvation. Often when we think about the phrase salvation, we limit it to the entry ticket into the kingdom of heaven. And we tell our story, kind of like I did with you just a moment ago, always in light of what happened way back when, when I was really a sinner, and then Jesus did something in my life to turn it all around. But I, I would propose that the New Testament doesn't limit the use of the word salvation to those momentary encounters way back in our past whereby we went from darkness to light. I'm appreciative for being moved from the realm of darkness to light, but I'm also thankful that my experience of sozo didn't stop there. But I've entered into greater, greater experience of Jesus' power, of Jesus' work, of, and the transformation that occurs as a result. The, the word sozo encompasses many different aspects of salvation, deliverance, restoration, protection, preservation, healing. And making whole. I think about, I was thinking about this during worship. I was thinking about uh, one of my team members, Anna, who is a graduate of our school when she was a student. She completed our school transformation over the summer. She went into our nine month school of discipleship. And while you were a student, being kind of like one of the more anointed, mature young women, I was like, 
you're going to help lead an outreach, right? And so, <laughs> so I break all the rules, you know, like you're female, you're a student, you're going to lead, you know? <laughs> and, um, and so she co-led with one of our staff team members. Was that right? Was it Derek? And we sent you to South Korea, right? And so the Lord's given our ministry and myself over the years a lot of favor in Korea. I don't know what it is. They love me. <laughs> and so go to Korea. They make you eat. They, uh, they make you preach. They make you pray. And they make you eat. And so that's how I sold our outreach team. You guys, you guys got to go to Korea. So I sent them to Korea. They got invited to minister in a Baptist church. Come on, what's up with all them Baptists, right? And so they're they're in the northern part of South Korea, not far from the DMZ. And they're ministering in a church that doesn't really favor the ministry of women. And they're doing a freedom equip. We're like, why are we there? What's going on? And they prayed for a bunch of people's original design, even like we will tonight, like we will tomorrow. At the end of the night, this, this woman's being brought in by the hand. And by then, it's probably, what, 11 p.m., 12 p.m.? The team's 12 a.m., ready, team's tired, ready to go, go home. This lady's brought in by the hand because she cannot open her eyes. The team hears through translators what's going on. She's had an issue with her eyelids for the last six months. She's not been able to open her eyes. She's been functionally blind for six months. Keep in mind, she lives in a shame culture. And the shame of her ailment has caused much strain on their marriage. The reason she came in at 11 p.m. as opposed to 7 p.m. when the event started was because she was too ashamed to come into church. She hadn't been to church in months. She, she says, I want prayer. The team began to listen for the word of the Lord and declare some of the things the Father was saying about this woman, about how he originally designed her for his glory. And as they spoke these words, something of the New Testament came forward, right? All of a sudden, there was a demonic manifestation and, and all of its, you know, fierceness. She's on the ground and church leaders are watching this going, what is going on? We had, what is going on? And our team leaders say, we, we want, <laughs> Anna and Derek, we need to be praying for her to be set free. And they're like, but she's not, she's not, you know hindered by an evil spirit. And they're like, we need to pray for her that she can be set free right now. To make a long story short, they exercise the tools, some of which we're going to cover even tomorrow. And in the course of time, that woman was powerfully set free by Jesus. And what was really beautiful about this is as she got delivered by, from the evil one who was oppressing her physical body, her eyes opened. She stood in front of her church that following week and gave glory to Jesus for his sozo power in her life. Come on, here's a believer. <clears throat> here's a believer in Jesus who'd, who'd been transferred from darkness to light, but she needed a greater experience of the power of salvation in order to overcome a physical ailment in her life that was really attributed to the influence of an evil presence that was coming against her. And what a beautiful experience of sozo. Amen. And of course, this is what we see in the ministry of Jesus. Let's go to the next slide. Luke 9, excuse me, Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he grabs the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. And he begins to read this passage. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight for the blind, to set at liberty the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of God's favor. In other words, this ministry, this scripture was to typify all of Jesus' ministry after this. And he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What is it? God's anointed Jesus to proclaim good news to the poor. That is to, 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 to bring new life. God's anointed Jesus to proclaim liberty to the captives. That is to bring freedom. To minister healing, physical healing. That is the recovery of sight to the blind. That is to release deliverance or to set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of God's favor. And friends, how many of, you, how many of us understand that this is the sozo experience that's reserved for the church today? This is the sozo experience that's reserved for you and I. Let's go to the next slide. Luke chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. John the Baptist is at the beginning of his, his ministry, just a chapter earlier. He says, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, raise up the valleys, bring down the mountains, make the crooked paths straight, make the rough places a plain, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. You know, I, I appreciate this passage because it's referring to John the Baptist's ministry of repentance. One of the things I want to share tonight is I believe that the ministry of freedom really is a message of repentance. The ministry of freedom really is a message of repentance. And, and, and we can say that with joy because it is like, man, to be yoked to Jesus is the best thing. Amen? And freedom is not the freedom to do whatever you will, but it, freedom is the yoke of Jesus. It's the yoke of Christ. It's being limited to the plan of God. It's being limited to the way that God's designed us. It's being limited to God's boundaries. It's freedom for obedience. Say amen. amen. And so what needs to happen in order to see this realized? Well, this is what we, God began to strike us with this passage years ago in our community. Every, every mountain needs to be brought low. That is, we begin to see this prophetically, those heart areas of pride and arrogance and rebellion need to come down through Repentance. And every valley needs to be filled. That is those heart areas of sorrow or depression, self-hatred need to be filled up. Insignificance needs to be filled up. What about the crooked places, those areas of deception in our life that are not straight and narrow but crooked need to be corrected and those rough places of injustice and pain and woundedness need to be healed. And all flesh, here's the result, and all flesh will see the salvation of God. I think one of the things that happens is believers begin to experience this freedom that comes through repentance. Mountains of pride come low. Valleys of insignificance are filled. Crooked paths of deception are made straight. Those broken, rough places in our lives are healed. And what happens is the onlooking world sees the sozo of God. That's salvation. I think one of the reasons for the ailing church today is that we don't reveal enough of Jesus. 
We don't reveal enough of Jesus because we've not brought down mountains and filled in valleys and made crooked paths straight and seen healing come to rough places. But this is the promise. This is the agenda of God that personal revival begets corporate revival. This idea that we bring down mountains and fill in valleys in our own lives and as a result of what happens in us, all flesh begins to see the salvation of God. Come on, isn't this beautiful? I was in Korea a year later after that testimony happened, ministering on the other side of the nation. And our host came to me and said, do you remember your team going to Hansup Church? I said, I remember our team going to Hansup Church. He says, here's a picture. This, let me tell you about this woman. She is now the, the young adult ministry leader at her church. This is the same woman who nine months before got set free of her ailment that led her to blindness. So she's now the young adult minister at her church. And then our team went there again that same month. And as they're ministering in that church, another young lady came forward. Boom, another demonic manifestation. Now this, youth, this young adult leader who herself was set free, nine months before is used to set this young adult free. So, so he shows me this picture and he says, this is the team that they're ministering from this church in a train station in Seoul City. And, and he says, see that Homeless man right there. I said, yeah. I said, um, they approached him. And interestingly, he had the same ailment that this woman had. His eyelids couldn't open. I'm like, dude, what's up with Korea with people's eyelids not being able to open? You know? And he said, he had the same ailment as this woman. And so the woman came with faith and said, I know what the problem is. She began to take authority in Jesus' name over the evil one who's afflicting this homeless man. She broke that oppression off of his life. He was set free and his eyes open. His eyes open and he gave his life to Jesus right then and there. Come on. Sozo. All flesh begins to see the salvation of God. So I think one of the things that needs to happen for the church today is we need an elevated view of the doctrine of salvation. We need our eyes to be open to the power of God that's available to the church through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the power of the resurrection. We need to be confronted afresh with the beauty of Jesus and His triumph victory at the cross. Amen. So one of the things that needs to happen is we need to raise our view and our understanding of salvation. And secondly, I think we need to emphasize Number, slide number 11, I believe the doctrine of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul said this, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that through him we might become the righteousness of God. This idea, this is a theological term, imputed righteousness, this idea that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, in whom there is no sin at all, has clothed us, you and me, in Christ with his own righteousness. And as a result, we stand before God, not on the basis of our own piety, of our own good works, of our best behavior, say amen, but we stand before God clothed in Christ. Now, we have to, we have, in our discipleship of the next generation, in our discipleship of the church around us, 
in our dealings of healing people and setting the captive free. We have to infuse into them the doctrine of Christ's imputed righteousness because if we confront areas that need repentance and areas that need healing and areas that need restoration and freedom without filling them with this truth, what happens is we begin to produce religion in the heart of that person. Because what we're functionally saying to them is you must change in order for God to receive you. That's, that's, the, that's the message that's being conveyed. And all the power lies in, no, God has clothed you in His righteousness. He has filled you with His authority. He has seated you in heavenly places. That means this sin, this struggle, this addiction, this oppression has nothing on you. We're going to see it broken in Jesus' name. All the power comes from these truths. I love the story in Genesis where Isaac, in his old age, as he's blind and he cannot see, he's laying in his bed and he calls for his sons. He said, come and receive the father's blessing, whatever he says. And Jacob, man, that homeboy was a deceptive little snot, right? Jacob hears what's going on. He says, Esau's out in the field. Esau's the hunter, Jacob's the hipster, right? And so you have the hunter and the hipster, and Jacob's like, I'm, I know what exactly to do. He teams up with his mom, and they perform this trick where that dude says, I'm going to get dad's blessing that's reserved for Esau. And so they go and take an animal skin. They clothed Jacob in animal skin. Why? Because Esau was hairy. And he's like, if my father feels my arm, he's going to think it's Esau and not Jacob, the, the hipster that shaves his arms, you know? And... <laughs> I'm like, but, but by the way, like how hairy did Esau need to be that, that Isaac got faked out by an animal skin? That's nasty. <laughs> like Esau had some issues. He need to be set free of something. <laughs> and, so, and so Jacob, the hipster trickster, comes in with the clothing of an animal skin, with his best pot of lentil, or no, no, his best thing, roast that his mama made. She brings us, he brings us in. He goes, I just, is that you, my son? He's like, yeah, dad, it's me. He's like, but you sound like Jacob, the hipster. He's like, no, dad, it's Esau. You know, and he's like, okay, and he tastes the stew, the stew and the roast, and he's like, oh, yeah, this is my son, the one I love. You know, he fills his arm. He's like, the voice sounds like Jacob, but the arms feel like Esau. <laughs> And we're reading the text going, whole, oh. you know, like, that's nasty. <laughs> Come on, the Bible's funny, right? Like, what a dysfunctional family that Jesus, <laughs> you're like, you think your family's tore up, you know, like, read the book of Genesis, it'll cheer you up, you know, like, <laughs> you're like, <laughs> uh, so much freedom comes when you read the Bible, because you're like, man, I'm not the only one that's really messed up, you know, like, <laughs> So, so standing in his brother's clothes, he receives his elder brother's blessing. And it's such a picture of the scandal of grace. We're all Jacob. The tricksters, the, tricksters, the, decept, the deceivers, the crooked ones. And in the scandal of grace, we enter into the Father's chambers. Not standing in our own clothes, 
but standing in the righteousness of our elder brother, Jesus Christ. And there in his righteousness bestowed on us is the Father's blessing that the elder brother deserves. You see, even as I said those words right now, that peace came on every heart, a sense of, I'm good with God. This is where freedom begins. When we try and mess with people's bondages without informing their new identity because of the gospel, it's a violation of love. It's a violation of love because the gospel assigns a new identity to you by grace before it messes with you in transformation. Because that new identity is actually the fuel of spiritual transformation. So then repentance isn't an activity that we do in order to earn something with God. No, 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 no. Repentance is a gift that we walk out whereby we become the person we were always meant to be. No, no, no. Repentance, even better, aligns us to our heavenly identity. The gospel proclaims our identity. You are a son. You are a daughter. Repentance aligns us to that identity that we've only received by grace. Friend, you are not defined by your latest struggle, your, most, your greatest deficiency, your latest addiction. You're not defined by your loss, your trauma, your brokenness, the crookedness, the rough places, the mountains of the valleys. No, no, no. Before God, you're defined by Christ. And this is the engine for spiritual transformation. I'm afraid that too many people in our churches remain in bondage because we are not busy informing them of their new heavenly identity. So in the discipleship process, we have to leverage the power of the gospel to inform our new status as sons and daughters of the Most High God. If we don't do that, we don't create a context where freedom and healing and deliverance can take place. Because then we're ministering in a vacuum. And will people be transformed? Absolutely. People will still be transformed by God's authority, God's power, even if we don't inform them of their new heavenly identity. But I'm, I'm, I'm trying to tell you, I'm trying to help us understand, if we go to that place of transformation and of removing strongholds in people's lives, confronting powers of darkness in people's lives, without informing them of their heavenly identity, it's a violation of love. It's a violation of the ways of God because God first assigns a new identity, then he calls us into it. And part of the powerlessness of the church is we try and mess with people's lives to bring change and transformation, but we lack the engine that only comes through the power of the gospel. Am I making sense here? I believe so heavily in this that one of the things I'm doing is I'm actually writing a Oh, I got to get going here. I'm writing a, a, a devotional resource right now called Prayers of Transformation. It's going to be 30 days declaring your heavenly identity where we take a different aspect of the believer's heavenly identity, God's original design for every believer, and we walk someone through that design in the scriptures. And at the end of the devotional and every day, there's a declaration that's made, an out loud declaration. And it's a declaration 
affirming our new heavenly identity. My daughter once told, asked me recently, Daddy, why do I need to pray out loud? Can't I just pray in my mind? I said, baby, you can pray in your mind. But one of the reasons we pray out loud is so that as when I hear your prayer, I can agree with you. And Jesus said, we're two or more agree concerning anything. He'll do it. She said, but, but why else, Daddy? I said, because when you pray out loud, all the demons can hear it too. <laughs> and so you might be nine years old, but your faith is great. And your prayers cause the evil one to tremble. She began to smile. She said, thank you, Daddy. He said, you're welcome. Let's go to slide 13. What we want to do right now before we transition in content, uh, what we want to do before we transition in content is we're going to make a declaration together affirming that truth that we are the righteousness of Jesus. In other words, we're not going to first call people now this room into some area of repentance. No, we are first affirming our heavenly identity, righteous in Christ. That's where all the power is. And we're going to read this together, and I'm going to invite you in a moment to make it your, your warfare weapon of choice, your spoken of declaration this evening. Before we read it out loud, go ahead and read that silently. I'll read it out loud because I'm going to make you read it out loud as your exercise of faith in a moment here. And if you agree with the reading, what's written, we'll do it together. But it says, in the name of Jesus, I declare that I am righteous. Jesus Christ, the righteous one who suffered, died, and resurrected, has given me his own righteousness. I do not stand in my own merit or piety. I stand in Christ. I have access to the Father because I am clothed in the pure garments of Christ, my elder brother whose blessing I receive as my own. I am righteous in Christ. Come on, we ready to make war here? Let's stand together, friends. Y'all ready? And I want to hear some out loud, authoritative, faith-filled prayers. Okay? No wimpy, mamby-pamby Sunday morning prayers, okay? Here we go. In the name of Jesus, I, I declare that I am righteous. Jesus Christ, the righteous one who suffered, died, and resurrected, has given me his own righteousness. And everybody said out loud. Yeah. High five your neighbor and have a seat. So this, the gospel assigns to us a new identity that we are righteous. And it's busy, yes, the transformative work of the gospel through repentance towards God is actually a work of the Spirit whereby God is restoring us to what we would call His original design. Let's go to slide 14. Slide 14. God's original design, our original design, this idea that each human, man and woman, is made with intrinsic value and their unique gifts, abilities, talents, character, personalities, dispositions, wirings are made... To, to reflect God's image and glory in a special and unique way. Say amen. amen. You are no mistake. 
You are an image bearer. You might look in the mirror every day and say, have other thoughts in your mind about what you see reflecting back at you. But I'm here to tell you that you're made to reflect the glory of God. Let's go to the next slide. Ephesians 2.10. The Bible says that we are God's workmanship. That Greek word there is poema. Of course, from which our English word sounds strikingly similar. Poem. You know, in other words, we are God's masterpiece, that we're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand in advance that we should walk in them. We are God's poema. One of the beautiful things about my own life that I celebrate, you know, in my weakness in Christ is, is that my, one, of, one of my primary callings is to be a father. Four little kids, two little girls, and two little boys. Say Amen. Come on. But you know something? I came from a family of four and I was fatherless. On paper, I have no business being a good dad. But because of the power of the gospel, because I've embraced my heavenly identity, because God has been restoring me to my original design, the Lord has filled in the valleys and made the crooked path straight. And the rough places of plain, I'm no longer defined by my experience, fatherless. I'm defined by my sonship. And as a result, I have power to fulfill my call. I'm designed by God to be a daddy. You know how good that feels? And my wife and I, putting our, our heels on the throat of the devil, in the generations that afflicted, the ways he's afflicted the generations before me. Three generations on my mom and dad's side where dad's left the family, where there's divorce or infidelities or immoralities or addictions, abuse, physical, sexual. And my kids are the first generation where it's all ending. Come on. Come on, the gospel change. This is God's original design. This was his intent all along. We are God's workmanship, prepared for good works, made for good works, which God prepared in advance that we should walk in them. Let's go to the next scripture, Psalm 139, verse 13. God, you form my inward parts. You knit me together as my mama's womb. I praise you, Lord, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Beyond just a verse written by, on a three-by-five card in your bathroom mirror, God wants this truth written on your heart. That you could say like David, my soul, my mind, my will, and my emotions know this truth very well, that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God wants to persuade the soul of every human heart that they're made for His glory. And for his name's sake. For his purpose. For his pleasure. He wants every soul to be convinced of this truth. This is, this is where healing occurs. This is where freedom occurs. When we begin to believe these truths about ourselves. One of the things I love about the Lord is that he's not content to simply announce over all of humanity in a general way, you're all my kids. You're all my favorites. You know, we kind of do that with our kids, right? 
Not me. I tell my kids, oh, yeah, you're my favorite, when no one else is listening. And then I go, wink, wink, you know. They're like, dad. And I'm like, you're all my favorites, you know. But God doesn't just say all over, over uh, uh, all of humanity through a broad brush statement, you are all my favorites. One of the things we love about the Lord is that we see him breaking into time from eternity to announce the identity over specific sons and daughters. And this is really cool. God confronting his kids with their original design. Let's look at slide 18, please. Slide 18, God's experience with Abraham. Genesis chapter 18, God's talking to himself. You're like, why do I talk to myself all the time? Because God talks to himself. And so the, <laughs> you're made in his image. You're as weird as he is. Here we go. And the Lord says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? That seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. And we know, of course, that at this, the, the time of this statement, Abraham's like in his 90s. He had not had even one child. And yet there was this prophetic promise that you're going to be a father of many nations. God had already spoken some of this stuff to him. You know what's beautiful about the Lord is that he already spoke to Abraham in Genesis 12, Genesis 15. Here we are in Genesis 18 and the Lord's still struggling. He's like, wait a minute, guys, guys, guys. The Lord, he's like, can I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? The Holy Spirit's like, you already told him what you were about to do. The Lord's like, but I want to tell him again, you know. And it's like God's from eternity breaking into time. He's like, there's something in his heart I just want to announce over my son. There's something in my heart that I got to release over my son. Like there's delight that floods my heart because of who he is, not what he's done. But I've got to tell him. There are secrets in God's heart over individuals all over this room. And it's the father's way that he says, I want to tell you who you are. You say, I already, I've already got 10,000 prophetic words about who I am. God says, I don't care. There's more in my heart about who you are. I was one time, <clears throat> took my kids, my two girls to the mall, Ellie and Nina. They're about four and five years old at the time, something like that. We're driving home from the mall. Got our mom, their mama a present, either for her birthday or mother's day. I don't remember what it was. But I had some money. I spent on a purse and some earrings. And I let, that, let the girls pick it out, which was a mistake. My wife didn't like it. She took it back. But anyway, <laughs> what happened was we're, <laughs> we're driving back home, and they're four and five years old. So I'm like, you guys, this is a surprise. This gift is a surprise for mommy. What does surprise mean? Well, surprise means that it's a secret. What does a secret mean? That she can't know. I'm, I'm like brainwashing them. Like, so then if mom asks you what we, what we were doing, what are you going to say? And I'm teaching them a lie and all this stuff, you know. <laughs> Y'all have done it before, right? <laughs> it's a Christian lie. But <laughs> no. it's, it's okay because I ask for forgiveness later. No, I'm just playing. And so I'm coaching them the whole way. Like, y'all are not going to say nothing to mom about the gift, right? No, daddy, it's a secret. It's a surprise. It's a, you know, it's a secret. It's a surprise. We're announcing or chanting this the whole way home. <laughs> and it was a summertime in Tacoma. And then. We drive up into our driveway, and my wife's there, and she's holding my son, two hands, because my son was just large. <laughs> All my kids come out large, you know. They don't come out large. They get large. They're mama's milk, milkshakes. And here they are. My, my wife's carrying her, our baby, two hands. And, I'm, and I open the door. I'm like, hey, babe. The slider of our van opens up. Here comes Nina. She doesn't even get out of the van. She's just standing in the doorway of the van. Mom, you're going to love the earrings and the purse that we just bought you. 
I hadn't even got out of the van yet. She runs across the lawn and into the house. She gets to the doorway. She stops like this. She turns around just like this. She goes, oops. And she went in, shut the door. I'm like, that little five-year-old had no intention of keeping the secret. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> in other words, there was something that was so great in her heart for the one she loved that she was bubbling up in her little five-year-old heart. I've got to announce what's in my heart. That's the father over each one in this room. And that's the father for every son and every daughter throughout every generation of human history. God wanting to confront them with the truth of who they really are. Rescue them from a life of mediocrity and debauchery and sin and addiction of different kinds. Let me tell you who you really are. I love what he did to Samson. Next slide. Judges 13, 3 through 5. The angel of the Lord says, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Uh, excuse me. That's <laughs> Next slide, please. I'm just reading. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman. He said, You behold, you're barren. You've not born any children. But you're going to conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink or no wine, and eat no strong, or no strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head for the child to be a Nazarite from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Let's go to the next slide. There's Samson. Jeremiah 1, verses 4 through 5. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you, and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Come on, God's heart burns for even the one in the womb. Amen. Speaking destiny and truth and life. God told us in our firstborn, when we asked, Jenny and I asked the Lord while Nina was in the womb, we knew she was a girl because we're not about that surprise life. You know, like I tell people, we, like, we want to be surprised. We want to be surprised about the gender at 20 weeks, you know, like with the picture. So we found out we knew it was a girl. So while she's in the womb, we said, Lord, how have you designed this one for your glory? Lord began to say, she will be a friend to many. And he said a number of things over Nina, but we, we held that truth for, 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 for years. She's nine now, going on 19. She's a friend to many. You know what happened the first day of first grade? The first day of first grade, I picked Nina up from, or Jenny picked Nina up from school. She's standing outside. How was the day, Nina? It's fine. Jenny, all of a sudden, mama alarm goes off. What, what, what happened, honey? Tell me. Immediately, Nina starts crying. Jenny texts me later that day. She said, I don't know what's going on with Nina, but something happened at school today, and she was crying after school. I text back, what's his name? <laughs> what's the address? I will break him. Like, no matter that he's in the first grade, he's probably my same height. I will go toe-to-toe with this boy. <laughs> I will destroy him. <laughs> well, it turns out, here's the problem. She, she wouldn't tell anyone. So, so, he, so then I go to Nina sit, after school at, at home. I said, baby, can you tell daddy what's going on? Put her on my knee. I thought I was going to have this dad, like superhero dad moment. She shut down. I'm like, what? Oh, no, it's already happening. She's not even 14 yet, you know? 
I'm like, Lord, that's it. We're homeschooling. You know, like. <laughs> I said, so now I pull out all the tricks. James Dobson, Danny Silk, all of that. Nothing works, you know. So I'm like, I'm like, baby, um, tell you what, how would I take you on a little date today? She's like, sure, daddy. What do you think? I was like, how about we go to Ice Cream Social? Boom, face lights up. Yeah, just me. I said, just you. We'll leave the other three at home. They don't matter today. <laughs> she goes, yeah, daddy. I said, but here on one condition. I said, you got to share with me what happened at school today. You're like, that's not a good parenting move. I don't care. <laughs> uh, she's like, okay, daddy. Went to ice cream social, got her a cone, got her a chair. We sat down. We're enjoying our ice cream. Okay, okay, baby. Open up. Tell daddy. Come on. Tell daddy what happened. Tears. I'm like, Lord, give me wisdom. She won't even open up to me. God, you know. She says, she says, none of my friends are in my class. I'm like, what? <laughs> none of my friends from last year. I mentioned first grade. It's the first day of second grade. None of my friends from last year are in my class. I said, what about so-and-so? What about so-and-so? What about so-and-so? She's like, she's gone. She's in another school. She's in another class. I'm like, honey, well, you're, you're a friend to many, you know? So what God said about you. She just gets angry and shuts down. She's 14, you know? <laughs> And I'm like, oh, Lord, give me, give me help. Help me, Lord. How do I reconcile the behavior of my daughter with what you've said about her? Lord, give me insight. Give me, give me understanding. And I'm eating my ice cream like, Lord, I'm listening to your voice. Lord, help me. All of a sudden, boom, word of knowledge comes. I said, sweetheart, let me ask you something. Did you get left out of a friendship sometime last spring? you felt left out and rejected and everyone else was included. Boom, tears. And I'm like, yes, you know. <laughs> I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Yeah, I kept going, what happened, honey? She said, well, last year, Samara had a birthday party in the spring and she invited all the other five friends, but she didn't invite me. And I was like, what's her address? <laughs> but, and I was like, but honey, did you invite Samara to your birthday party in October? She says, no, we weren't friends then. I said, but you're mad because she didn't invite you to her birthday party. She's like, yeah, dad. And I'm like, okay, women. You know, <laughs> and I just keep ministering to her and we're talking and, and, and the Lord's given me grace. And I begin to relate to her. I said, honey, what if that experience of you being left out of the party was like a, net, a seed from the evil one that got planted in your heart? in the garden of your heart, and it's growing into a weed in your garden that is making it very uncomfortable. I said, that grew into something. What do you think that grew into? She said, well, it makes me feel horrible. I said, what else does it make you feel like? She said, it makes me feel like I don't have any friends. So, well, that's a lie, honey, because God says you're a friend to many. I said, but you're thinking thoughts about yourself that don't measure up to what God said. Come on, we're having a little freedom prayer moment over some ice cream. I said, honey, so the evil one has lied to you because of this experience. What are the things that you think he's saying to you? I'm like, Lord, speak to her right now. She says, I, I feel like I'm not good at making new friends. More tears. I said, honey, 
you don't have to be dominated by those thoughts. They're not true. But they came in through this experience of being rejected last year. I said, you know that God wants to pull that root out of the garden of your heart? She goes, but how, Daddy? I said, well, you have to be willing to forgive Samara who left you out. Can you do that, honey? Yes. Went into my truck, finished the ice cream. She said, Daddy, can you lead a repeat after me prayer? I'm like, yes. <laughs> began to repent, began to use some of the tools that we're going to even cover tomorrow on how do we deconstruct spiritual strongholds in our lives. And there she is, seven years old, gets free, gets set free in the front seat of my Ford Ranger as she released forgiveness to the one who rejected her and as she repented of believing the lies that she began to believe about herself because of that experience. And at the end of the prayer time, she goes, <sighs> she grabs my hand, thank you, Daddy. And I'm like, Lord, I don't get it right a lot of times, but today you made me look like a boss. <laughs> and God wants to restore every son and every daughter to their original design and there are things in our lives that have come in through experience that have caused rough places in our lives that have caused us to respond in ways that puff up like mountains or come down low in the valleys and God wants to fill in those valleys bring down the mountains, make the crooked path straight, and even the rough places a plain. You know, my story of fatherlessness and of God healing me has been used to heal countless others all over the world. My, my experience of sexual abuse and molestation has been used to, to bring healing to countless others all over the world. Amen. And I'm here to tell you that even my greatest pain because I've been healed, has become a prophetic message of hope to a generation around me. And so it is with all of us. When the mountains come down, all flesh will see the salvation of God. And so God wants to redefine you according to grace. And when this happens, everything changes. I love the Lord. How do we understand our original design? Let's do this. Slide 23. We're, we're skipping a bunch here due to time. How do we understand our original design? Well, number one, of course, we can go to the scriptures in slide 24. The scriptures is a lot to inform us about how God's designed us for his glory. We're a child of God. Say amen. amen. How great is the love of the Father that he's lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is who we are. Number two, we're a royal heir. Romans 8 says, we're heirs of God and we're co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, we shall be glorified with him. Say amen. amen. We are holy and blameless. We are an ambassador of Jesus. Come on, say amen, someone. We do evangelism training. What do we do at the very beginning? We inform them of their heavenly identity as ambassadors of Christ, which means this. You are God's highest ranking diplomat of heaven on earth made to represent the head of state of heaven, Jesus Christ. You inform identity and training, all of a sudden the, the objectives of training to share the gospel become so much easier because people have embraced the truth about who they really are. An ambassador of Christ. Number five, we're saints. Say amen. amen. I preached this in Ireland. 
you're a saint. People are like, really? <laughs> you know, it's true. Number six, you are the righteousness of God. Number seven, you're an enemy of the devil. Come on, that better rile you up, man. So we receive our identity, of course, from the scriptures. Number two, we receive our identity as we seek the Lord within the church. Next slide, please. James 1, 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives it freely to all without finding fault. Um, seek the Lord herself, rather. Jeremiah 33, 3. Call to me and I will answer you and I will show you great and marvelous things which you have not yet known. One of the most healing div- disciplines that I've engaged in my life with God is when I'm at my bedside on my knees. This is what it was like early on. Lord, who do you say that I am? In other words, I refuse to be defined by my deficient experience, my pain, my struggle, my weakness. I will not be defined by these things. I want to be defined by the word of the Father. Who do you say that I am? When I was 18 years old, do you know what they told me? You are my favored son. Come on, immediate goosebumps, right? Bam! Just, you are my favorite son. That statement healed me. And I'll be driving on the freeway next week, and I'll say, God, who do you say that I am? Ten bucks says, he will say, you are my favorite son. I'm like, thank you, Lord. I'll be in the shower tonight. I want to take a shower. Lord, who do you say that I am? Ten bucks says, he'll say, you are my favorite son. God wants to share his heart with each one. Who do who does he say you are? Someone just told me today, the more you love someone, the more nicknames you have for them. I said, that's really good. For each one of my kids, I've got about four or five nicknames. There's Gaby, Bubba, you know, um, what else do I call them? Ga- Bubs, Gabes, Bubba Dubba Do Ya. I just start playing on, you know, got four or five nicknames for that one kid. And he acts like he's annoyed by my nicknames. And one time, I pulled him aside. I said, Bubby, what do you, I said, Bubby, what do you want me to call you, son? He's like, Dad, you can call me whatever you want. Because the heart of a son, he got it. He's like, Daddy, you can call me whatever you want. He's like, but my sisters have to call me Bubba. <laughs> Next slide. We want to seek the Lord within the church. And we want to exercise gifts of prophecy whereby we speak to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation, where we leverage the prophetic ministry to inform people's identity. One of the things that's happened in the churches, in the spirit-filled churches, we've leveraged the prophetic to speak to people's future without first informing their identity. And so we've put people, by virtue of the exercise of our gift, on a treadmill of striving and religious performance. I've got to earn it. I've got to get there. I've got to get there. What? I've got to fulfill this word. And one of the great things we can do is leverage the prophetic anointing to speak to people's heavenly identity. Does the prophetic speak to your future? Absolutely. But God will fulfill your, your calling at, by first informing your identity so that you enter into your calling, your mission assignments, whatever he's called you to do, the many things he's called you to do, husband, father, wife, mom, school teacher, businessman, minister of the gospel, whatever he's called you to do, 
will get done by you embracing your identity. People are trying to answer the question of their calling without first answering the bigger question of their identity. And as a result, they're put on a a, a treadmill of striving and religious performance. It's uniquely anti-gospel. And instead of setting people free, we're ensnaring them. Is that helpful? And then we put them into a system in church life that is fueled by volunteers. And so we're keen on helping people discern their gifts. Help you discern your gifts, put you to work, which is good in theory. But what about the religious, striving, performing one who's on a treadmill trying to earn what God can only assign them by grace? And then they serve in this ministry, and in this ministry, and this ministry, and this ministry. And the church machine wears them out without connecting them to the power source. So these truths are so valuable because they reform not just the individual heart, but even the way the community of God is ordered. We want people to first hear from the Father, like Jesus heard from the Father at the beginning of his ministry. This is my favored son. This is my beloved with whom I'm well pleased. And now because you've heard from the Father and your identity is secure. Step into the things I've called you to do because now you won't be doing them with a heart that seeks to earn something from me. Am I making sense here? And so the Lord wants to even do this tonight. We want to minister to some, maybe just one person tonight and then open it up to uh, prophetic ministry teams for original design and in a way that will bless people. We'll do this at, at, at the end of a few different, a couple different sessions tomorrow as represented on your schedule. We'll even do it tonight. Anna, would you join me up here, please? I'm long-winded this evening, so I'd apologize, but I'm doing, I feel like, I hope, what God called me to do. All right, we're going to pray for someone's original design. We're going to model how we want to minister to people. Our ministry teams will minister to people. Um, even prophetic ministry, just listening prayer, where we listen for the voice of the Father about someone. uh, And we ask him this question, God, how have you designed this one for your glory in a unique and dynamic way? And then we're going to listen and and we're going to share those things. We encourage you, if you have a recorder on your phone, you can bring that up or have a friend write this out for you. But as if you receive ministry from one of the teams here tonight or tomorrow, we encourage you to, to get it recorded. Sound good? All right. Do I have a volunteer? Can I pick someone? I want to pick... Everything in me wants to just pick someone. Y'all mind if I pick someone? (laughs) Okay. I'm really feeling drawn to two people. So maybe we'll do a twofer. A twofer. A twofer one special in the Holy Ghost. (laughs) Okay. Sweetheart, can I pray for you? I don't know your name. Purple. Yep. What's your name? Megan, Megan, come on down, girl. Let's give it up for Megan. Nice to meet you. This is Anna. Okay. You can pray. You can face everyone. Yeah. Here we go. Lord, we thank you for Megan. And Lord, we just want to model... um, to the room, kind of how we're going to minister this evening, but also, foremost, we want to minister to Megan. And so, Lord, Anna and I, we just position our hearts to hear from you about some of the ways you've designed Megan, Lord, for your glory. Lord, we declare that she is fearfully and wonderfully made, 
and we want her soul, Lord, to know it very well. And so, Lord, we just want a a moment here to listen and wait. Uh, Speak to us, Lord, about some of the ways you've designed her for your glory. Thank you, Lord. Let's wait here for a moment. Megan, uh, the first thing that I felt like the Lord was saying over you is that you are a woman of faith. I really feel like the Lord is saying that specifically you have uh, a call to a childlike faith, to be filled with wonder at who he is, at his creation, and looking at the things of God with a heart um, and eyes filled with that same wonder. And uh, the other thing that I heard is that you are a magnet for people. And that people are drawn to you, uh, that you are a safe place for those around you, and that there's um, a call on your life uh, to welcome others. All right, girl, I wrote some things down for you because um, sometimes the Lord gives me words for people in advance of a meeting. And then I saw you, and I was like, that's her. That's the girl I saw. All right, here we go. There's your description there. You're a woman of great conviction. And you are, Lord says, you are true to your convictions. You fear the Lord. The Bible says to, the fear of the Lord is to hate the hatred of evil. And the Lord honors you as someone who hates that which is evil and loves what God loves. And the Lord says that you call other people higher into righteousness. And there's an authority on your voice when you speak to people to call them higher because of holiness in your own life, a desire to do what's right and not what's easy. Do you have something else? I'm going to keep going. I also feel like the Lord said, you have a prophetic ear. So God speaks to you. He's already touched your ears and anointed you to hear his voice. And I think that there's grace to hear God with clarity that's increasing in your life in this season. And you catch now words of the Lord even for the church. Like you get, God gives you burdens for people and communities and churches that you carry in your heart. So you're not just a hearer, you're someone who feels tremendously from the Lord. And then the third thing I'll say right now is that the Lord says you're a fearless one and you confront, I see you staring sickness in the face and holding on to the promises of God. And I see that God's, taught you to fear no evil, like Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of death's shadows, I fear no evil. And I think that you're someone that God calls fearless and courageous who stands in the midst of darkness and will not relent. Awesome. Girl, we, Father, we pray your blessing over Megan right now. Lord, as we've declared your word, Lord, we... Agree, God, that you would empower these words in her life in a way that would strengthen her and establish her in her heavenly identity, the reality of who she is. That the gospel has made a transfer from darkness to light. And you now declare a good word over her, Lord. And Father, we pray for grace to flood her life right now, to overcome 
areas of hindrance, stronghold areas, Lord, that keep her from walking into the reality of who you say she is. Give her a fierceness and a courage to dismantle areas of darkness, Lord, that work against her heavenly identity and the things you've set before her. We bless her today in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen, amen.